You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Um, all right, we're going to be in Luke 22. So when, when Brother McQueen announced turn to Luke, I said, well, I'm shredding one too. <clears throat> But thankfully, he stopped short of chapter 22 here. Luke chapter 22, if you would stand with me when you find it there. There's been a, um, just a phrase, a statement that's, I guess, been weighing on my heart lately. And as I was praying about what the Lord would have me to preach, he wouldn't release me from that. And it's right here in Luke twenty-two thirty-one. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. So with the Lord's help, we're going to talk about being sifted as wheat this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need you today. And it's it's been so good. The preaching's been good and the singing's been uh, so encouraging to the heart and Uh, Lord, you know that this message has been heavy on me. I hope that you'll just give me the grace to communicate it in a way that will be a help and a blessing. And would you do something among us here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. So uh, sifting, it's it's really a fascinating process. It's it's a very simple, very ancient um, method that's still essential today. Sifting is... A method of separating different kinds of materials through use of a sieve. And a sieve can be anything with a mesh, with a grate, uh, different sizes of things that can fit through it. You can, something where liquids could pass through and keep something on top or different sizes, something larger on top and smaller things would sort of pass through. And it's used in all kinds of different applications. Where, where we live, we have a lot of these gravel ridges. And so uh, these companies will come in and they'll just dig out all the material that's in the ground and they will run all of the, the earth, all the earth materials through a sequence of sieves or sifters of different grades. And so they'll have real wide mesh atop, on top and, and it'll kind of sift everything through and all that's left are these really big rocks and they'll set those big rocks over here in this pile. It'll go down a grade, you know, into the sifter and, and then you've got different gradients of gravel and they've got those all here and here and here and pretty soon it just gets finer and finer and finer until you've just got a pile of sand over here. And now all the, all the materials that have been mixed up together, now they've been separated, all right? They've been parted one from the other. And uh, in modern agriculture, wheat is sifted right inside the combine. 
There's a sifter that's going on in there. And it's the exact same process. It's just happening sort of with machinery and automation. And once, once the wheat has been uh, threshed and kind of beaten off the stalk, you just get this pile of uh, wheat and chaff together mixed up. And the whole mixture would just kind of get scooped up into a sieve. Now, I don't use too many visual illustrations, but the ones I do are kind of corny. You get the whole mixture that's in there. I'll try not to make such a mess here, brother. And what happens is the mixture just gets shaken. And the smaller stuff falls through, and the larger stuff stays on top. And they'll, it'll, they'll flip it sometimes, they'll, they'll, they'll shake it, you know, back in old times. They, it, it's kind of a, a, a violent process, if you will. If you were a piece of wheat or a piece of corn, you'd say, what is going on here? It would be very traumatic because first you're getting flogged. Off of, off of the chaff, and then you're getting thrown into this, this sifter process and getting shaken up, and finally you're thrown into the air and winnowed and with the wind. It's quite an ordeal. And I wonder if some people know what it feels like to get shaken, to be troubled and be tossed about. And it gets more violent and more violent to be beaten, to be crushed and, and, and sifted as wheat, and one thing's for certain, in this sin-cursed world, we've been hearing it, it's kind of, I don't know, maybe a theme the Lord wants us to hear, that there's trouble in this life, that there are plan Bs. We, Brother, Brother Herring talked about Job quite a bit last night, and Job, Job's testimony was, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Life's just trouble. The devil delighted to trouble Job. He took great pleasure in it. He, he, he went up to God and he, he desired to take Job and to put him through the sifter and to destroy his faith. And Satan told God, he will curse thee to thy face. I know what I can do. He'll curse you. But praise the Lord, that didn't happen, did it? Job, Job didn't lose faith. And, and you wouldn't say that Job understood all of what was going on in his life, but he came to understand a few things about it. And, and one, another thing he said was that he knoweth the way that I take. Yes. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. See, sifting can work one of two ways in the life of a believer. The, the, the Lord wants to separate our faith from its impurities. He, he wants us to be sifted so that our lack of faith will fall through and what will be left is something pure. But see, the devil wants us to be sifted for another reason. He wants us to be separated from our faith. He wants our faith to fall through the bottom. So that we cannot stand. They each want the sifting to happen. Both God and the devil. They do. But, they, but for different reasons. We talk about how that, you know, God's got a plan for our lives. And aren't you comforted when you're getting shaken about that God's got a plan in all this? 
He, he knows what I'm going through. He, he sees it, and he's got a plan and a desire for my life. Oh, how comforting. However, he's not the only one with a plan for your life. The devil has a plan for your trials too. Because not everybody who goes through trials comes forth as gold. Sometimes people aren't purified through trials. Sometimes they're crushed by trials and they never recover their faith again. The devil has a plan. When he, go, when, when he wants to see you sifted. Verse 31, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. And I have to imagine that conversation must have gone something similar to the one between Satan and God with, when it came to Job. The, 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 the devil came with a, a request, that's part of what the word desired means. The devil's requested to have you. He's asked. He's demanded you. He's issued a challenge and desired to have you to put you through the sifter. And the Lord allowed that because sifting doesn't have to destroy us. It can make us better. It can purify us. And that's why the Lord Jesus tells Peter in verse 32, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And that word prayed also has the idea of requesting and and desiring. And so this is the sort of spiritual battle that rages above and beyond our understanding all the time. That on one side, Satan's over here as our adversary and our accuser, and he is desiring to sift us and to separate us from our faith. And on the other, the Lord Jesus, our advocate, he's praying for us. He is requesting for us. But the Lord also wants some sifting to go on in us. Yeah. Because when the heat gets turned up, that's when we have the capacity to be purified into pure gold. And what a sobering announcement this would have been. Can you imagine being Peter and hearing all of this? That the Lord's kind of pulling back the curtain on the spiritual battle and saying, Satan's got a plan for you, buddy. And yet, Simon Peter almost dismisses everything the Lord just tells him. Pretty much dismisses it. Verse 33, he said unto him, Lord, I'm ready. I am ready to go with thee. Both to prison, to death, whatever. If Satan thinks that he can take me down that easily, he's got another thing coming. Because I am not afraid. I'm not afraid to go to jail. Bring the handcuffs. I'm not afraid of torture, Lord. I've been through hard things. I'm not going anywhere. Whatever the devil wants to throw at me, bring it on. I don't know about these other losers. As far as me, I am ready. And I imagine with a stare that could look right down inside of his soul. Jesus looked him in the eye and said, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. It was already evening time. The sun had gone down. They had just finished supper. The last supper, by the way. And here the Lord's telling Peter that before the sun comes up, this very night, 
announced by the crowing of the rooster, you'll have already failed. You'll have already fallen. You'll deny me that you even know who I am. And Peter's just shaking his head. "Mm -mm, Nope, not me. Never, Lord. 22 verses later. Look at it, verse 56. A certain maid, a little girl, beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, this man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, woman, I know, not, know him not. And after a, a little while, another saw him and said, thou art also of them. And Peter said, man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after, another confidently affirmed, saying, of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. This next verse <clears throat> just kind of wrecks me. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. Imagine through the crowds. He's following afar off. He's being questioned way over there. Peter's hiding by the fire. You know, he's kind of doing his things. There's people, there's darkness and everything. And way over there where Jesus is being, being hit in the face and he's being mocked and he's being derided. In that instant, when the rooster crows, Jesus turns. And his eyes lock eyes with Peter. And it says, Peter remembered. Verse 61, the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Apparently, he wasn't as ready as he thought. See, the sifting that came that night was beyond anything Peter could have ever imagined. He never imagined a betraying Judas, his friend his brother. He never imagined that they could arrest Jesus. He never imagined that they would beat him and take him to trial. And, and, and he never really understood or comprehended the fear. There was a fear that overtook Peter and overtook his faith that he had maybe never felt before. And you know Peter, we know Peter, major influence, right? He's, he's kind of a leader, among the rest of them. And, and so the, the Lord and the devil, they both know that whatever Peter does, the rest are going to follow. Back in 31, the Lord told Simon, Satan hath desired to have you. Now, this is one of the reasons I like the King James Bible is because you know when it's a why pronoun, it's plural. He's saying, Simon, the, the, Satan hath desired to have you. He wants all of you. Or as they say, long ways away from here, y'all. Yeah. Right? But I have prayed for thee. That's singular. So Peter is the target for this attack. If his faith stood, the others could stand. If his faith failed, they would follow. You know, in John 21, the Lord, uh, if we zip forward, the Lord's already resurrected. He's risen from the dead. But Peter was still in this funk, right? He was still in this uh, state of, of where he had failed. And so he's discouraged and hadn't gotten things right with God yet. And so even after the resurrection, he struggled. And you remember what Peter said? He, he said, I go fishing. 
that wasn't recreation. He wasn't bored that afternoon. He said, I'm done with this. This following Jesus stuff, I can't do it. I've proven I can't do it. I'm done. I'm out. I'm going to go back to what I know, and that's fishing. You know what the other guy said? We also go with thee. He's an influencer. They're following him. That's the nature of spiritual leadership. The higher up you go on the quote-unquote ladder, the more of a target you become. Because you're influencing so many others. You know, it's amazing to me how everybody wants to be a leader these days. Right? You you don't find many self-help books on how to be a good follower. But with that higher leadership come higher stakes. You fall, others will fall. You stand, others are helped to stand. Thankful to be able to, it's humbling really to preach to fellow pastors and church planners and it's awesome. And I know firsthand, I mean, the, we talked a little bit about the difficulties of it, of pastoring, of, of church planting, not an easy work at all. Would you guys say that, uh, would you agree with my assessment that it's easily the hardest thing you've ever done? Yeah. Also the most rewarding, praise the Lord. But it's hard. Now I don't think that maybe it's mentally or physically any harder than the work other folks in our church churches do right let's not get into this mindset like I'm the hardest working person I know all right all right but it's but I do think that spiritually it is harder and I think the stakes are higher because being a spiritual leader in a church it, it does you've heard it before but it does it paints a huge target on your back and none of us really knows exactly how all this spiritual warfare stuff works. I know this, that Satan is not all-knowing. That's a blessing. <laughs> he has limitations. I think that his limitations are quite a bit higher than our limitations. Uh, but so, so I guess I say that just to say, I don't know if you and I are directly on Satan's radar or if he's like delegated us down to some little minion of his. But either way, it doesn't really matter at what level Satan has desired to have you. He wants to sift you. He wants to take you down. Because if he can get you to fall, if he can smite the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered. And that's what a spiritual predator like him wants. Because he doesn't want just you. He wants the whole flock. He wants everybody. But he'll start with you. He wants that little fledgling church plant to fail before it ever really gets going. He wants that struggling work to shut its doors once and for all and close as soon as possible. Because as long as that lighthouse is lit... Even if you look at it and you say, man, the light's kind of dim right now. You know, it's not a lot going on. The spiritual potential of the Lord's church in that city is enormous. Your church represents to the devil a very dangerous foothold in his kingdom. And he will oppose it, just mark it down. He will attack it any way he can. If he can use the government to come and wrap chains around the doors and shut her down, he'll do that. He's not above that one little bit. 
The gospel, there's no doubt the gospel being able to go forth freely, people being able to worship freely and meet freely, that's a blessing to the work of the kingdom of Christ. That's something worth fighting for. That's something worth preserving is freedom. But maybe something even more effective than those sorts of overt attacks are like his, his surgical strikes. He doesn't need to take down everyone all at once. He just needs to take one. And many more will fall. If he can get that youth pastor, who knows how many other young people, that, that'll just rattle their faith to where that they say, what's the point? And then their families are out of church along with them. If he, can, if he can get to that pastor, if he can get to that pastor through his wife, through his kids, if he can get in the middle of their marriage and bust that thing up, the destructive fallout is just huge. Mark it down, the devil's got a very elaborate strategy against you and your church. I'm convinced he is playing this game of three-dimensional chess and he is so far ahead of any of us. It's staggering to the imagination. He knows you better than you know you. He has been studying human nature since Adam and Eve. And he got it pretty good the first time. He's got your number. He's got plans how to take you down. Now, he, it might not always feel like he's on the offensive, right? The attacks aren't constant. They, they aren't always relentless. Sometimes it's like, ah, we're kind of breathing easy right now. Things are good. That's fine. Take joy in the blessings of God and the, the time out, <laughs> I guess. But you understand, his strategizing never stops. He's scheming. He knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your fears. He knows your insecurities from when you were knee-high to a grasshopper. And in his time, Satan has become a master at sifting. He is very, very good at it. He knows just the right gauge to set the mesh at. He knows how to shake you. He knows how to make you tremble. How to flip you and toss you so you don't know which way is up. And his goal is the same as it's always ever been, to kill, to steal, and destroy. That's what he does. That's his game plan. I mean, until a person's saved, his, his one and only mission is keep them lost till they die, and then we got them forever. If he fails in that mission, he goes on to his own version of plan B, which is, okay, they're saved now, but let's get them out of the battle. Let's sideline them. Let's keep them from helping anybody else get saved. And his tactics are very sophisticated. He's got no problem helping even prop you up a little bit. He'll give you a tailwind for a while to get you kind of into a place where, okay, now there'll be maximum damage when he falls he'll hold back the attack say no not yet not yet okay now but all the while he's setting the landmines and he's he's scheming he's moving things around he desires to have you the stakes are high and those difficult times of sifting are coming 
They come into all of our lives. Some, some of you have been through things that I can't even fathom. I can't even imagine the difficulties. You go through pain on a chronic basis. You, you go through uh, just, just seeing kids. Your kids have been sick and gone through illness and, and, and death. You know, you're talking about the death of his grandson. I, I don't know that kind of pain. I don't know those kinds of things. But, but I know that in a room like this, and I know with men like this and families like this, that Satan desires to have each and every one of you, and he's at the throne of God, and he's there, and he's requesting you by name, saying, I want to put him through the sifter. And the Lord will let you because he wants to purify you. It's a spiritual battle that's happening. The stuff that you think is you're just going through a hard time, it's spiritual in nature. All right. I don't want to make it seem like every little thing is spiritual, but mm, probably a lot more than we recognize. You're going through some stress right now. I guarantee you the devil is keyed into that. He says, okay, pressure point. Mark that down. He knows what you're going through. And he's got a plan. He wants to use it all to discourage you. He wants to get you to quit. He wants to destroy your faith. But we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he says, I've prayed for thee. <laughs> I've prayed for thee. That thy faith will not fail. That you'll have grace to stand. And he knows, God knows, that if you will come through this sifting with your faith intact, your faith will be stronger. Your faith will be purer than it was before. But just as, you know, Jesus prayed for Simon. He prayed for him. And that prayer was powerful. And yet Simon fell. His faith failed. That means that just having Jesus praying for you as your advocate doesn't determine whether you stand or fail. What is the difference? Well, I believe it's a matter of your reliance. Your trust. Are you relying upon that strength he's praying for you? If you are self-reliant like Peter... You're going to fall. If you will be humble and rely on the strength that Christ has to offer you, he is able to keep you from falling. He's able. His grace can bring you through terrible times of sifting with your faith not only intact, but stronger than ever before. But how can we know, right? This is what troubled me as I was looking into this. How can I know? Because I want to know, am I relying on me? Or, or, I mean, I like to think that I'm relying on him. I, I'm in the word. I'm, a, I'm, I'm praying. I'm, I'm pouring my heart out saying, Lord, would you help me? But how do I know if my reliance on him is great enough to where that I will stand in the time of sifting rather than relying upon myself and fall? Wouldn't it be nice to be able to walk out of here today and say, okay, I know. I know where I stand. But you can't. How can I know if I'm relying on him enough to where that I will stand when times get hard? No, you need to assume 
you won't stand. That's right. I know that's not what we want to hear. But it's a prideful delusion to ever think that you will not fall. That your faith will not fail. Think about when you hear that another, another soldier, you know, has fallen out of the ministry. They've stepped into sin. Their marriage fell apart. They got discouraged. They quit. They left that Baptist church. They're, they're into some non-denominational thing now. They've kind of compromised on the truth. There's this part of us that recoils from news like that and says, What? Him? Again? How many times is this going to happen? How could that happen? When we react like that, it reveals that we do not yet understand the depths of our own weakness and the deception of our own flesh. When you, when, you, when you can get a grasp on just how weak and self-deceived that we can be, you realize what a miracle grace it is when someone doesn't fall. That's the, that's the miracle. When you hear that somebody else got sifted, their faith failed. Don't shake your head and say, man, how could that happen to them? No, shake your head and wonder, how has that not happened to me? Don't deceive yourself into thinking, nope, not me. That won't be me. That is you. You're made of the same stuff. Yes, how can, how, can, how can you know that you're ready to stand? You can't know. Don't you ever dare assume that. You need to assume you're weak. You need to assume I'm incapable of standing and beg God for his strength because you don't have it. Amen. Would you keep your place in Luke and turn with me to Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul is writing here. Galatians chapter number 6. Verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Peter. That's what happened. I'm ready. He thought himself to be something, but he had deceived his own self. And Paul says that every one of us needs to very meekly consider our own selves when we're dealing with somebody else that has fallen into temptation, that has been overtaken in a fault. We're not, we don't step in and say, well, let me help restore you, brother, because I'm stronger. That is not what qualifies us. Uh, to step in and help in restoration. No, we're not stronger. We're just as apt to be tempted as they are. In fact, the assumption, the assumption, realizing that we are weak and capable of falling, there it is. That's the key. That is the key to relying on the Lord's strength. So it's, it's kind of this, sort, this strange paradox, right? But the truth of this is that you'll never be able to stand until you know you're able to fall. 
Let it sink in for a second. You'll never be able to stand until you know you are able to fall. Don't let your pride deceive you. Assume you may fail. Now, that's not, that's not like some sort of excuse, right? Well, okay, I guess I, I don't have what it takes. I might as well just, just give in. No, God still expects us to stand. Sure he does. Because he's given us everything we need to stand. The whole armor, his grace, all of it. Don't just say, well, why go on trying? No, that's not the message here. The message is you're weak. I'm weak. Weaker than we even can realize. And it'll deceive you, that flesh of yours, into thinking you've gotten some things squared away and you'll raise an eyebrow at somebody else and say, what's wrong with them? Lurking in the deep corners of your heart are the exact same things that will bring you down. The other reason we need to assume that our faith may fail is that the Lord assumes the same thing. Doesn't excuse it, but he assumes it. Right here in Galatians, this warning is a provision for helping somebody who's fallen to be restored. Christ did the same thing for Peter. Turn back now to Luke 22. Luke twenty two thirty one, 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Look at this next part. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Yes. It's like immediately after he says, I have prayed for thee. He says, when thou art converted. Peter, I'm praying for you, man. I'm praying that your faith will not fail. But it will. So when it does, let's talk about afterwards, when you need to be restored. Just the fact that God offers provision for his people to be restored means that God himself is operating with this understanding and assumption that we are weak and that we will fail at times. And that's such a testimony to the grace of God. I was reading through Leviticus recently. Uh, just the early part there, and it's going into all of the different offerings and the sacrifices that are being brought to the tabernacle. And, you know, people always talk about how harsh God was in the Old Testament, you know, under the law. But in reality, he's gracious throughout. So gracious. He could have been harsh. He could have said, here's my law. Here are my demands. If you violate them, you're done. But he sets up this whole system of sacrifices, assuming they wouldn't be able to keep his law. Here's the sin offering for how you deal with this. Here's the trespass offering. When you mess up and you do this wrong, you bring a lamb. If you can't afford a lamb, all right, I'll work with you. You know, here's what you can bring instead because I know you're weak and I know you'll fail. And when that happens, here's the way. Here's the way back to me. It's pretty awesome. Peter, when your faith fails, and it will, I already have a plan to bring you back, to convert you from your faithlessness, bring you back to a right relationship with me, because I'm not done with you yet. Okay, you fell through. I've still got a plan for you. And that plan is that you're going to use your weakness to strengthen your brethren. Strengthen thy brethren. 
in his amazing patience and his amazing grace. And the Lord, after his resurrection, he sought Peter out, didn't he? They're out there on the fishing boat. It's the same way that he called him, by the way, right? The, the fishing all night, caught no fish. Had to be jarring some memories. Throw it on the other side, huge catch of fish. John looks over and says, it's the Lord. Peter dives in the water, <laughs> swims fast as he can, drags himself back up to that shore where Jesus got a fire going, bring some fish, boys, come and dine. Seems like probably a little bit of an awkwardly quiet meal, not a lot of discussion going on. And then the Lord looks over at Peter and he says, lovest thou me? More than these. Three times he asked, lovest thou me? And I know there's a lot in that whole passage where, where the, the Lord is using different terms for love and, and uh, all of that. But basically, three denials th followed by three affirmations of I love thee, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And each time he responded with this, feed my sheep. What's he saying? I'm not done with you yet, Peter. You don't get to go back to fishing. I made you a fisher of men. Amen. Yeah, you've gone through some sifting. You found out some things about yourself. That you're a lot weaker than you thought you were. But none of that changes my plans for you. It all happened for a purpose, Peter. Now feed my sheep. Turn to 1 Peter 5 and we'll be wrapping it up here. 1 Peter 5. I was thinking about, well, what did Peter have to say about this, you know? He's, he has a commission now to go strengthen his brethren does he have any testimony I guess to bring to bear about this and certainly in his in his letter here the Lord allowed him to write some things that pertain to this <clears throat> chapter 5 and verse 1 he says the elders which are among you I exhort who am also an elder so he's saying hey you pastors I know what you're going through I've been there I'm also an elder. Verse 2, feed the flock of God which is among you. This is the job. Feed his sheep. Verse 5, likewise ye younger submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. I can, when, when he says those words, I can almost imagine him saying, let me tell you a story. Yes. <laughs> if you think you're ready, you're not. Right. Brother Herring came up to me this morning. He said, well, you ready, brother? Ready to preach? I said, I don't know what to respond to that. <laughs> I have prepared, I've prayed, but I can't, can't say to you, yeah, I'm ready. Can you imagine me saying that right before I get up here to preach this? <laughs> you think you're ready? You're not. You think you've got what it takes, I promise you, you don't. Because you'll never be able to stand until you know you're able to fall. Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And then he gives this solemn warning in verse 8. Sounds a whole lot like what Jesus told him. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. 
It's a different metaphor, but it's the exact same truth. The devil is after you, and he wants to take you down. But, verse 10, but the God of all grace, (laughs) who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, that's the sifting, after ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. That's his plan for the sifting. And the word establish is the exact same Greek word that Jesus used when he said, strengthen thy brethren. He's using this idea that you're not strong enough, but he is. And I am so thankful. I'm so thankful to be able to be here today. Thank you again, brother. And you saints of God and you pastors and you church planters, you're my heroes. Don't let that go to your head. (laughs) Not for a second. God's doing a great work through you and he's got incredible plans for you. He's got incredible plans for your churches that you don't even know yet. But he's not the only one with plans. The devil has plans for you to take you out of the battle, to sift you as wheat. And I don't know what all you've been through. And I don't know what you're heading into. Only God knows. But the way... You go through that sifting process will be determined by the object of your reliance. Are you shouldering it all? Are you taking all the burden thinking you're strong enough to to bear it? I've got to bear it for all these people. You are not strong enough. You need to be casting your care upon him for he careth for you. You need his grace. You need his strength. He's got the power to use the trials to bring you forth as gold. Do something awesome in your life. But you've got to let him. You've got to stop saying, I'm ready, and start saying, I am not ready. I need you, Lord. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that he can lift you up. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.